Hello, lovely listener. So, I have yet to create an outline for these podcasts, and I don't feel I'm ever going to do so, because in the words of my next-door neighbor who's listening to these, she says they're perfectly imperfect, and doing that would take away from it being raw and real and just straight from my heart. I just don't want to do anything different because it's obviously working, whatever it is that I'm doing. But I will tell you, I have these little index cards beside me. They're not in order as how I'm going to talk about them, but I just, with the topic today, it's titled Angels and Demons. I just don't want to leave anything out. And I didn't spend too much time um, creating these, so there may be things that I think of later that I'll be like, shoot, I meant to tell them this. Um, So I may mention stuff later on. Um, We'll see how the time goes. I might even have to make this into more than one part. So I want to start from the beginning of my experience with angels and demons. Again, I've never seen an angel and, um, well, I've seen some things. (laughs) It's it's all, it's in the mind. uh, I mean, it's up to interpretation what it is I've seen. So I'm going to tell you what I've seen from my perspective. And I'm also going to share with you, you know, from my cousin Graham, who they helped me there, like my aunt and uncle. I've told him these stories. He told me his opinion on it. And uh, I'll tell you what my husband's opinion is on it. So you can form your own opinion. I'm sharing what I've seen and what I believe to be true. So everything was normal um, from the time I was 2 to 12, meaning... I would fly to visit my dad three times a year. I had a stepdad that was physically present. I also called him dad. He was the man that raised me. And, um, you know, my parents, my mom and my stepdad, they would get in these spots that would terrify me and my brothers and sisters. But I remember talking to the principal about it, you know, because obviously it was it affected me. I'm a very sensitive person. I didn't like being scared. I didn't like hearing, you know him being drunk and threatening to kill her. I didn't love those things, but in a way it wasn't, I mean, I think that goes on more than we realized. I don't, I don't want to call that normal, but cause it's not, but it was like they, they were survive They were surviving it and staying married the whole time, two to 12. However, my mom would always talk to me like I was her therapist from the time that I could ask questions, and I did ask questions. Uh, I'm a very inquisitive human being, uh, very curious. Certain things she'd say, I'm not going to tell you, and that just made me want to know more. So she would tell me. I've always been like her. She's been like my big sister, I guess you could say. And then now it feels like our relationship, you know, with the past couple weeks, me putting a boundary up, um, it almost feels like she... Once again, like, it, it, it's magnified how much she depends on me rather than my whole life being able to depend on her. But again, this is not what this episode is about. So, it was stable for me because dad was there the whole time, 2 to 12, everything. It was like I was going to the same school. Uh, there was like a routine. we go to church on Sundays. We went to a Baptist church. We also went on Wednesdays. Um, it was, you know, um, we'd read the hymns stuff like that. I'd go to Sunday school, eat like six donuts in Sunday school, (laughs) come home, nap the day. I mean, I feel like 
I liked my childhood, I guess because I compared to everything else. But I mean, to some people that might have been, oh man, your parents used to fight like that. Because I know Tristan and Preston, my twins, you know, they've heard of mom and dad get ill with each other. But Dane's never threatened to like kill me or anything. Um, <laughs> and it's never been to the point that I think that they would be afraid. Preston will just sometimes be like, stop it whenever Dane and I will kind of like get to a certain point in our like back and forth. Uh, he doesn't like it. Preston's very sensitive. And then, you know, we'll stop it. And we try to, like, make sure to, like, not have those things in front of them. And I'll be honest, we haven't had anything like that since I've quit drinking. I know that drinking was the source of so much drama. I'm not going to say it was me being the source. But um, it definitely, he put up with a lot. And um, I put him through a lot with that. But, I mean... When people love you, they, they love you, and there's nothing really you can do to, when it's meant to be, when it's right, and I prayed for this for a long time for the right person, and he just happened to be the right person, and he saw me through it, and then I made this decision to not drink on my own, which I will talk about in another episode, possibly. I don't want to turn anybody off because, again, I, a few months ago, I was a very big social drinker, and I don't want people to think that I am judgy because I'm not. Like, I will buy you alcohol. Like, I brought a... A, a bottle of a Prosecco, two bottles, two big bottles of Prosecco to a broker open the other day along with catering some food. I want people to have like a classy good time. I, I'm happy to be the funder of this time. Um, everybody's has a right to their own decisions and I came to that on my own. So, all right, 12 years old, this is what it was. So, I have a brother who Okay, so my brother that I grew up with, he was showing signs of possibly, and this is going to sound so messed up, especially now because we're all like, I don't know if woke is the word, but we're all accepting of everyone, and this is going to sound so messed up, but this is truth. This is a true story. He was showing signs of like that he could potentially be gay when he was older. You know, he just, he liked he didn't like to get dirty. He was obsessed with my mom's shoes. And he is, um, identifies as male. He's married to an amazing husband. Um, they have very high-class life in Upper East Side Manhattan. Shout out to them. Um, you know, I like to think that he has the taste in finer things because I was his big sister. And he looked up to me. So, But he actually has way better style than I do. He... Um, He's an interior designer. I think his husband is also an interior designer. But anyway, if you're listening, uh, I don't know if you want to or not, because I don't want to trigger you or make you um, emotional um, unless you're, if you, unless you want to look at this. And this is not for us to hate our mom, in case you're listening, because again, you have to face it. You get really freaking angry, part of the facing it. And then you are sitting with it and you're like, okay, I can't hold this. I've got to forgive this person. And so what I've done with that is she is my, she's my helpless little sister, not big sister. She's just my helpless little sister. But with a helpless little sister, you still have boundaries. You, it's not like she's never asked me for money or anything like that, but I'm just saying you don't, you have boundaries with that person. I digress. (laughs) So. She thought he was having tendencies towards that at an early age. And so she got the whole family, um, my stepdad, his mom, and 
I think it might. Okay, so all I know for sure, I'm going to tell it how I know exactly. I know for sure my mom went, my stepdad went, or my ex-ex, ex-stepdad um, went, my ex-ex-ex step-grandmother went, who I called Mama. I know the three of them went to this Benny Hinn concert. Benny Hinn, you can Google him. He was this evangelist, Christian evangelist that would pray for people, put his hands on their head, and they would fall out. So, she was going, essentially, for prayer about, like, this situation, healing on this situation, because she thought, you know, it was potentially, um, like, a demonic type thing, a spiritual issue with my brother. So, she goes to this Benny Hens concert, and then she says she had her hands raised up, and all of a sudden, she felt, in her words, she was baptized with the Holy Spirit, Um, there was an electrocution, like electric feeling through her body and like her hand just like couldn't stop shaking. And my interpretation of that is, I don't know if it was chakras being activated. I don't know. I think there was a ton of energy in the room. Now that I'm learning more about energy, (laughs) I don't know if it's like if she could get past her issues Like, maybe there was some deeper calling for her. Um, But it, you know, I read a ton of books. I I did all the things I was supposed to do to get out of what I did. Not everybody does that. My mom's not one to, she read books, but what she delved into was some people would call the occult. Um, So what happens is she comes back. My dad was, my stepdad was touched by this. Um, everybody was touched at first because they thought, you know, mom was touched by God. Like they went in front of the church at our Baptist church and kind of told about the experience and they were emotional. I remember this, like my stepdad was originally on board with what she experienced. But then what happened is my mom became fanatical and it's not that she was the most savvy business person, but it was her drive that made her do well in business. And I do give credit to her for my obsessiveness and my drive, which has done me very well in the business that I'm in. By the way, if you need a mortgage, I do mortgages. This is, I want, I don't even want to say this is for fun. This is for therapy. This is, this is for fun. This is um, because it's an outlet for me to help people. This podcast, it's been so fulfilling because, you know, with mortgages, you're doing those, you make money, but there's none of this, like, I've really helped the evolution of someone's soul, or I've really helped them come to terms with their issues, or I've changed the trajectory of some young lady's life because the mom is listening and saying, you know, the daughter, the daughter seems like she's fine, but maybe there's something I don't see from hearing my podcast. I don't get that from doing mortgages, but mortgages enables me to be able to do something like this and not put in uh, ads because I don't need the money and I know you guys won't appreciate it and I could potentially lose listeners. So I digress again, but yes, I do mortgages. If you, if you know anybody that needs a home loan or to refinance. So my mom, very driven, got baptized with the Holy Spirit. I'm going to use, I'm going to talk about it in the only way I know right now. I I will continue to evolve and understand this better possibly. I've only gained so much ground in the past 25 years. So I don't know. This might be all I ever know about this, but 
in our opinion, she was baptized with the Holy Spirit or something happened to where she was then set on fire for God and then literally was going to church every single night of the week, going to revivals. I was going with her. I was made to go with her. I didn't want to go, but my little brother and sister weren't made to go because they were too young. And plus, as my husband tells me, because I tell all this to my husband and he interprets it and he's like, well, they weren't made to go because they were uh, my stepdad's, you know, kids. Even though my stepdad treated me like I was own, like she had, I've always been her like thing she had full authority over because my dad lived far away. So she actually goes to a Baptist church. She's like searching for peace. She's um, in her prayer closet every single day. She also feels amazing because she feels special. And I understand some of that, you know, um, having a connection to our creator, it, it feels special, it, but it's available to everybody. It makes you know, you are not special to have that. It's just to get through and feel that sometimes it's special because other people, you know, they're, they have so many other distractions going on. They can't access that power that is available to all of us. So anyway, she goes to a Baptist church of all places for prayer and they get out some anointing oil and all I know is I was supposed to be picked up from school that day and she did not pick us up on time. And whenever we did get picked up, she had oil all in her hair. She looked like a mess. I mean, I'm talking like she had showered with oil. What she told me had happened is they started basically casting out demons from her. They were pouring, pouring oil on her, and she said it was like a can of worms. Whenever they asked about one thing, then she said it would manifest, and then it would just keep on, like it wouldn't stop. And so this began her quest to get free and basically remove all demons from her. Um, she explained it that in the Bible, you know, it talks about no Christian can be possessed, but you can be oppressed by demons. I still don't understand all this because honestly, I don't, um, I don't want to lose any listeners, but personally, I don't, I don't believe the Bible like word for word. I think it was definitely inspired and I think there are other pieces that are inspired and I think some of the things do not make sense. So therefore I can't believe like every single little thing about it. Um, somebody can maybe tell me if we're wrong, but like the Tower of Babel thing, how it goes up all the way to the sky and the clouds. And then it's like, well, that's impossible. Um, so why did they say that? <laughs> so not to lose listeners, but just to say, use your own mind, believe what you believe. I, this is just my experience, but yet I believe in angels and demons, so you can't tell me, and I also have a really amazing relationship with God, so nobody can take away my experience, and I can't take away yours, and you're allowed to believe what you believe, and I'm allowed to believe what I believe, and if anybody disagrees with that, then they are not part of, um, I don't know if I'm building a soul community, I don't know what I'm creating here, because the thing is, we're not going to talk, you're not going to hear this, and then feel comfortable to message me and be like, oh, Celia, when you were talking about this, you're going to hear this. You're going to take it in. You can go talk to it about, you know, with your friends. It's not gossiping. I've put this out there. So I am making this available to 
you guys, for you guys to have these open conversations. I don't necessarily want to discuss this with anyone one-on-one. I feel like this is my avenue to share all I've seen and know. And because I feel like it is, I feel like it's immoral to have gone through something, seen something, and then not come out of it and then not share what you know. I think that's beyond selfish, like for other people that were drug addicts and then come out of it and then just go along with life, pretending like it never happened, knowing like the power you have just in your experience to be able to tell that person that's still in it, hey, I was there too. Like, how could you, how could you not? And I understand how you could not because for me, alcohol was a distraction because I didn't have time to think about helping other people whenever I was constantly like, running away and feeling good. So I get it. I'm not blaming anybody, but if you're sober and you're sitting there and you're unfulfilled, well, what have you been through that somebody else is going through? So anyway, she was on this quest to get demons cast out of her. She, you know, funny thing, and she's very convincing. Like the people that worked for her, they were all, she was they believed. So I tell my husband this and my husband's like, they were faking it. Not that they thought that they were faking it at the time. They really believed it. But cause I said, but what about whenever people like different voices would come out? And then like whenever uh, the different contortions, my mom's body would make, like, how could that be made up? And he said, no, like everybody believed it, what they're experiencing, but it wasn't real, you know? And then my cousin Graham thinks, well, it was, the signs of a nervous breakdown. And I've always been like, you guys were not there. I saw it. <laughs> so at the end of the day, I kind of have my own belief system. And it's based off my relationship with God. You know, um, the spirit of Jesus Christ and what I've seen and my experiences. And I don't... I don't personally go to church because I don't think that I would be able to say all these things possibly and really fit in anywhere. So I experience God on my own. And I do kind of worry about my children just because I have so many good memories of Sunday school. So does my husband. And I may end up in a church at some point just because... For my boys, because I want them to be brought up in church. But I'm not a hypocrite, so I can't... That's the hard thing, is, like, I don't want to go pretending to believe um, what everyone's saying whenever I don't. And especially, you know, adding the mix of, you know, my brother and his, you know, marriage. According to the Bible, black and white, they say it's wrong, but... When my brother first told me, and this this was ingrained in my head, like I I was Bible to the core for a long time, even though I'd run away and stuff. But when my brother told me about um, him, he came out to me, and I don't think he was coming out to me to say he was getting married yet. They they dated for a little bit, but the way I, because that was hard for me, even somebody that's not been perfect their whole life, because I don't want somebody I love to go to hell. You know, um, but I don't, I don't believe that that's possible because at the end of the day, I don't, 
I don't even believe in that anymore like that. Um, I believe hell can be created here on earth and heaven can be created here on earth. And I think hell is like the hell I experience is way worse than being on fire. <laughs> so I don't look at it like that. But whenever he first told me about coming out, my thought was, do I want my brother to live alone for the rest of his life? Because he had been single this whole time. He had tried to date a girl and it didn't work out. But like, do I want that? No, I don't want to see my brother who I love dearly be alone forever. Like it's so important. Companionship is so important, especially people that want it. If you want a companion, if you're fine being by yourself, that's fine. But if you dream of having a companion and having someone to be there, and then just because it doesn't meet society's standards or your mom's or whatever, no, like I don't, I don't believe that in my heart. I'm like heart focused and it's, there's no way I could wish that upon anybody to be forced to be alone whenever their desire is to have a companion. And it just so happens that the person that they have a companion with is the same sex. And that it's like, it's, you just have to, you accept it. And I've grown since then. My husband has helped me grow so much. He, um, I, I don't know. I don't know how he was raised, um, church of Christ, which is even stricter than Baptist and con it's even stricter than non-denominational. I mean, they don't cast out demons in churches, but they're pretty strict. And you know, he, he's opened my mind about a lot of things, but so back to my mom being very convincing. So at the furniture store, remember the guy that uh, molested me? He had her wife who also worked there. I don't know if I mentioned that, but she also worked at the furniture store. She had all of them believing in demons and casting out demons. They were doing it at the furniture store. And they would all go to the same church we, that my mom made me go to. Where there was like a revival, or there was it was a revival, and there was church every single night, and they would do all the things where the, somebody would speak in tongues, and then somebody would interpret, and then they'd lay hands and pray on people, they'd cast out demons. One night, my mom was making me get forced to be prayed for, on a night that I was being made to go to church that I didn't want to go. I mean, these church services were long, and they were dramatic, and they were it's just not what I was used to. I was used to going to Sunday school, going to church, it being an hour long, I could count the clock, I could draw on paper, and then it would be over. But these church services were like three hours long, and they were doing some crazy stuff. And she had some um, people lay their hands on me and pray in the pew, because I would not get up to go get prayer. And so she made them come over to me and pray for me. And I remember I had my, I can still envision it. I, it was the corner of the pew, and I was had my head down, my eyes were open. And I said to God, I said, go away. Because at this point, I was just, I was done. If this was God, I wanted nothing to do with it. From that moment on, I feel like when I wrote my first book at 25 and I pieced everything together, I realized that's whenever the darkness kind of came on me, even the depression, all of it. I think there, I think there's power in our words. I think whether you are an energetic professional, you believe in angels and evil, like whatever it is that you believe, I think we can all agree that there's power in our words. And even though I didn't say them out loud, I said it in my heart, which was probably even more powerful. I meant it. And from then on, I said I was an atheist until I was 18 and finally asked God for help. So 
with this experience of my mom and all these demon stuff, I thought like, it's not crazy that I thought that I had demons because my mom told me I had demons. Um, she made me like try to cast them out. We would be going to my dad's and she'd have this book and she'd say, recite this. And I'd be like, no, I don't want to do it. And she was like, made me, forced me, like threatened to not take me to my dad's if I didn't read this script in this book that basically renounces demons and then you're casting them out of yourself. And then you're supposed to blow or something. All this is like traumatizing and you don't even realize it's traumatizing because what it did to me is it made me feel, my therapist has helped me with this, it made me think that there was something intrinsically wrong with me. Like inside, there was every bit of me was wrong. I was inherently wrong. I was wrong to my core because I had demons, but I didn't ever like, I don't know. Okay. We'll get into that also. I don't know. I think I maybe did. I don't, my husband, he laughs at me, but again, this is my experience. So let's see here. Let me One of the scariest times, I do want to mention this, one of the scariest times of the whole demon stuff, and see, other people that have been raised around this, I don't want to turn you guys off because it might not have been scary to you, but like I said, I was in a quote-unquote normal church till I was 12 years old, and then this became our new church from Southern Baptist, which may have its own issues, right, but then to this. Where I've never fallen down from somebody putting their hands on my head. So many people have. But I'm like, I'm not going to fall down unless I really feel something that makes me fall down. Now, they were always trying to push you down. And I'm like, no, I'm not. (laughs) You can put your hand on my head and try to push me down. But I'm not going to fall out in prayer if nothing's causing me to fall out in prayer. I was always like that kid. I never spoke in tongues Um, I never, even whenever I was like, I'm gonna, like, I I believe, like, even whenever I was sold on all of it and thought it was all, everything was real and everything, I never did those things. Because it would have required me to be a hypocrite. It would have required me to lie. And I just, I wasn't going to do it. But the scariest time was we went to this church in Bridgeport, Alabama. It was a holiness church. And they were the most effective at casting out demons. Let's just put it that way. Um, Or what I thought was demons. Because they were doing this to my mom. And it terrified me. Because the rage that took over her. Like her blood vessels were popping out. The the veins in the neck. Or whatever. um, The blood. Like it's just. It was like roaring. And like stomping. And like you know just so. Like you would think there was. That was a demon expressing itself. And then, you know, the cop, uh, the chief of police saying, you know, my mom used to throw up demons in a spaghetti strainer. Well, yes, my mom used to throw up demons in a spaghetti strainer. Or what she thought was demons. Why in a spaghetti strainer? That's the weird part. I think that she wanted to see what they looked like. I don't know. And all this was, like, true to me as a child because that was the person that was raising me. I don't know if I told the story about how when I finally wrote the book and I moved out. I immediately moved out after I wrote the book. It was that healing. But I was 25, still living with my mom. 
I moved out and I was taking a shower one day and I just like all of a sudden started crying because I finally realized this whole time I thought it was like the town against my mom. The town thought my mom was crazy and like basically thought she was crazy and thought she was these things that like totally affected my life and totally ruined my childhood. Like they were wrong. She was right. And then I finally realized at 25 that they were not wrong. They were wrong in how they treated her, which I've mentioned before. It's you have to be kind to people, especially people that are mentally ill and especially their children. Do not look at a child that's with the parent that is crazy. Look at the parent like they're crazy and then look at the child like she's disgusting and crazy too. That was messed up. The looks that I would get from people. And you know, here's the thing. My husband would say, but were they looking at you or just their their glance like followed to you and you felt like it was you? Or maybe I was so connected to my mom that how they looked at her, it impacted me. That my memory is that they were looking at me that way. Maybe they weren't looking at me that way, but that's how it felt. <clears throat> so that experience, I remember was the first time, it was all kind of, it was all weird to me, but that was the first time that I was terrified to tears. And I was still 12 or 13 because the divorce with my stepdad, he finally was like, this is too much. And the fighting got worse. And then my mom finally was like, okay. Um, they always threatened to do a divorce or whatever. And then she finally like went and did it. Um, and then he went and did it the same day. It was like, who could get there first? They did that to each other. And then they tried to get back together after it was already final. And they had a marriage counseling appointment for like a Wednesday. And then that Thursday she goes and marries, um, the next husband, which would technically be my ex-ex-stepdad. They had a child, my sister, and I remember when I was trying to talk to my mom about, this was traumatic for me, seeing those, you cast out those demons all the time, and then they were the roaring and all this. She was like, shh, shh, she shushed me, because we were talking in front of my sister, who was a teenager, who she had with her third husband, and that made me even more mad because there's so many things I was able to face. There was so many things that she had done I could face. I know that it seemed like that's 22 years old, 22 years old, that trauma that you just now are facing because there was so many, much more above that. I mean, not saying that that wasn't, that was probably the worst, but I've, I've given her, I've given her her fair share of hard times over what she's done and this being one of them. And whenever she told me like, I couldn't talk about that in front of my sister, it really kind of hurt me because I was like, you know, you put me through that at 12 years old and my sister's now 16 and you don't want her to hear about it because it's, you don't want to like traumatize her. And it just was like, okay, all right. So... Let's see here. Let's get into the the lightness of this of this podcast. So I saw all those things. I thought that these things were in me. Maybe this is part of my experience. But when I wrote the book, okay, so eighteen, I asked God to uh, come back. Things start looking up. I would go to, and re remember at this time, I had done uh, meth, I had done coke, I had done, like, to a lot. I did a lot. I'm a very driven, I'm like, s people say I'm um, super mom or whatever. I I did it to the fullest, the drugs I had done. I, so, I did a lot in a very short time. 
18 to 20. I might have been 19 whenever I asked God for um, help. Because I know the last time, like, I did coke, I was 20. But when I was 25, I was trying to... What I did was I quit everything and then changed my phone number and just, like, made new friends and then didn't want to talk about it at all. I went through that period where I'm not trying to help anybody. I'm just trying to heal and pretend like this didn't happen. Like, all that craziness I went through. And then... I went to church one day, and like a normal church. It was non-denominational, like Calvary Chapel of Chattanooga, and I enjoyed it because it was like a good mixture of like what I knew, but also what I knew. It was like a mixture between like Baptist and the crazy stuff. It's like they were spiritual enough to where they didn't do the things that I had seen, but like they knew that that stuff was real. And so I went after church one day. My friend was talking to this other girl, and... I had started feeling like I didn't go up with her because in my mind, I was like, they, this is what was going through my mind at the time. They don't want to meet me. They don't want to talk to me. They know I'm dirty. Like I was still dirty from all the things I had done. And then these people somehow knew. So it was like paranoia. I was still experiencing. And I say still experiencing because when you do things like cocaine and especially meth, like you're paranoid for hours. And I believe that stuff stays in you. Like I I just, like your mind is not right after you quit doing drugs. I needed some healing on like the imbalances in my brain. I'm not saying like I ever got complete healing because I'm on medication now, but honestly, I I think I might would have needed something like an antidepressant or antidepressant or anxiety medication Regardless, if I didn't work out, I would need a lot more than what I take. I think um, medication should definitely be used with a healthy lifestyle. Not as a means to be better, but like an addition. Or adjunct, I think, is what this doctor I'm reading this book by. It's called um, The Body Keeps the Score. And the first chapter is really hard to read, especially if you're... I'm not a doctor. I don't like reading um, doctor-type materials or anything like that. I like... I'm a writer. I like to make hard things sound easy. It just, the first chapter is really hard to read. Like, not because it's scary or it's triggering, but just, it's just hard to get through it. But then it starts to flow and be an easier read after that. And it's very informative. If you're going through um, trauma healing right now, you should read it. You'll feel very validated. I'm talking like, even my clumsiness has an excuse. People with trauma tend to be clumsier. (laughs) I'm just saying, I felt so seen um, reading this book, so you should check it out. I'm only in chapter three. Shoot, where was I? Um, well, oh yeah, so I was writing the book. Um, no, I hadn't written the book yet. I went to church, and I was having all these thoughts, so I come home, and I'm, this is what I say. I've never done this before, but I lay down, my head down, like, and almost in a praying mantis position. And I don't know if even that's a yoga position, which I need to get into yoga now. Now that I'm, my mind is opening up to, like, all things spiritual. I really do want to get into yoga. But there's a position that if you Google praying mantis, I've never done it. It doesn't, it's not even comfortable. I've tried to do it since, like, thinking maybe I'll have another vision. And nothing happens. And I'm also like, this isn't comfortable. But I did. I got in a praying mantis position. I put my hands over my forehead. And I said, Lord, draw near to me. The weird, like, I've never done that. But what it was, it was this desperation of like, I'm so tired of, like, I just need help. 
like all these thoughts, all this, like she's dirty. She's not clean. She, we don't, we know who she is. All that swarming in my head that I have nowhere to express it. And it makes me feel crazy. I go down and I said, Lord, draw near to me. Like not, I don't even know if I said it out loud, but I was by myself in my bed and I'm there for like all of, I don't know how long it was. I felt peace. I had a vision. It was, it's all, my visions are, I've had a couple of visions. I only had that vision one time. And then about a month and a half ago, I had a vision two Fridays in a row of the pool. And the pool is, um, I'm trying to get the HOA to approve me having a pool. (laughs) So we can build it and put it in our um, backyard. And um, apparently the neighborhood's not allowing pools anymore because of a flooding issue. Well, we're on a hill. So I've submitted the request anyway. I haven't heard back. They asked for more documentation. So there wasn't a hard no. It's being reviewed. And I'm like, what in the world? I don't know if those visions for two weeks in a row, two Fridays in a row, at like three o'clock in the morning, I wake up and it was like a black and white movie of the pool. I don't know if that was to give me comfort And, hey, you're going to get the pool. You're going to be told no for a while or it's going to take a while. I don't know what the heck that was about. I'm not a dream interpreter or vision interpreter. And I told one of my girlfriends and she's like, you know, visions are like normally not what you think they are. And I'm like, well, let me get back to the time I was 25, laid my head down, Lord draw near to me. I saw two things. And again, this is two times in my entire life or two, you know, the pool thing and then this. That's the only time I've ever seen visions or anything like that. But I put my head down and I saw a scroll. Didn't know what a scroll meant. I saw a scroll. And I also saw this man that I had been communicating with by email for over a year. Who was kind of like big brother. But he knew I had like a a crush on him. He was actually counselor at where I was getting therapy. That's a whole other story, but he didn't, I mean, technically he crossed lines, but I, I want to protect him in the sense of that it was, the conversations were pure. He was just helping me, but I think he liked the attention of somebody. And that's where he was wrong is, you know, he liked the, Oh, where he was also wrong is that he was married. I did not know he was married. I did not know. The vision I had, I had a vision of a scroll and I had a vision of him with a wedding ring on. I thought that meant the guy I've been talking to for over a year and think I'm in love with is like he's going to be, because he's the first man that's ever been there for me emotionally that I had to give nothing to. Like we're, we're talking and engaging and he's feeling a need of mine emotionally and he's a cute guy and I don't have to give myself away. You know, I went through a very um, celibate period off and on for 10 years. I mean, sometimes like seven years straight, sometimes like two years. Like it's just, it was, I was trying my best to save myself till marriage. And um, this was definitely during that time. So that's why I could be fine with a relationship where we're just emailing. But saw him with a wedding band on, saw a scroll. Didn't know what either of those two things meant. Then, um, five days later, cause it started on a Friday, I felt led. I always wrote in, uh, on the computer, like, dear God, I would start the day. I'd write the date and I write dear God. And I would write out like kind of like a diary or a journal. 
and I'd been doing that for months, just like, you know, journaling. And that day I felt led to start writing and something took over me. And it was like, not, I said at the time it wasn't me. I mean, I guess some people would say, okay, so I, I said at the time, like it was Jesus Okay, if you don't want to believe it was Jesus, then you can call it your higher self. You can call it whatever you want. But all I know is something took over and I wrote something really quickly. And I was like, what is this? I called my aunt, who's a songwriter. And she said, that's the meat of your book. It's not your book, but like, that's the meat of it. She said, you need to go home and keep on writing. So I went home and I wrote for three days straight. And really trippy things happened while I did that. I'm talking like tears that are not normal tears. Um, I feel like I might've told you this, but at the end of the, I did tell you, I think in love and other drugs, but at the end of the three day writing binge, like my face was really broken out. Cause I really like all, I, I, everything left me, all the darkness, all the things that I was like, Hey, God draw near to me and help me with was leaving my body. And it was leaving my body because I was talking about it. I was, it was a cathartic experience. At the very least, we can say it was a cathartic experience to me. And what I had known growing up, it was my deliverance. Um, the very last thing, the only time I've ever had like, um, a demonic, what I thought was demonic manifestation. I'm speaking about this spirit of fear that has plagued me since I was a child. I used to, be afraid that there was this man on my roof and um, I was convinced that there was and I wanted to sleep downstairs with my parents because I had to sleep upstairs. My brother and sister got to sleep in the bedroom with my parents and I hated being up there by myself and I was always afraid and the couple of times I tripped on mushrooms I remember having to be like held like a baby. Uh, One of my friends may remember this but you know everybody's having a good time and then me I start freaking out because I can't have my own thoughts. I'm only thinking what other people are thinking. I can't think even anything for myself. Go into the water to like cool off or like to get myself straight and then come out and then pass out. Um, I thought I died, but both times I tripped on mushroom, it's like I pass out from holding my own breath. But one time I was um, underwater and then <laughs> this other time I died and like in my head I died and I wake up and people are around me. But my friend had to hold me like a baby, like in a, I was in a fetus position and I just had to, to make it like the fear subside because it was like stinging me. The fear was so intense. And the only thing that would make it the least little bit bearable to make out where I didn't pass out again and keep on passing out was if somebody held me Well, I'm talking about this experience in my book. And as soon as I start talking about it and I'm like, telling about it all of a sudden it like stings me again and I'm like and I was living at home at the time and my mom was there and and I said mommy mommy please hold me it was like a little girl voice of mommy mommy please hold me and I go to my mom and my mom you know had to hold me like I was um a baby in the bed like kind of like cuddle me like the same way that because I knew I knew exactly how I needed to be held because I'd gone through that before when I was tripping and then all of a sudden um in whatever way that my body decided um it could release it I went to the bathroom and because I was like I have to go to the bathroom I went to the bathroom released it and then 
that was the, that was the end of it. Like it stopped. Like, and I remember my mom did, she had, um, Xanax as I remember I was so like, whoa, after, after that had just happened. And I was scared to death after that. I was like, I'm, I told her, I was like, I'm not going to write the book anymore. I was like, I'm, I'm not writing the book anymore. I'm done. <laughs> I was like, I'm done with the book. <laughs> and she said, well, he'll, they'll just, he'll just keep attacking you like in other ways, you know? And I was like, oh my gosh. So I remember she gave me some Xanaxes and I, like, I think I took one or two or something just to help me go to sleep. And then the next day I was like, that's my book. Like I've written all of it. I sent it in its raw form to a publisher and by like, I did it like that Monday and by that Friday I had a book deal. Now this was a hybrid publisher. Like they do a lot of the marketing, they create the book cover and they have a conceptual editor, but you have to pay, I think it was like 2,500 or something to get it published. So it wasn't self-publishing, but it also wasn't the kind of publisher I'm going for now, which is somebody that's going to pay me to write the book. But still, I mean, that was reality. And I kept writing. And other things happened that if I know I don't <laughs> lose listeners over this, I'll go into it. Because what I what I want it to be is I want you to know I have a husband that doesn't think of these experiences the same way I do. But he still loves me. He still accepts me. I'm not too crazy for him. I also want to make the people people that have had these experiences and interpret them the same way um, to feel seen because I agree with you. But the last thing I want to do is lose people because you guys think that um, I'm too crazy or that I could make you be crazy or something like that. So I don't, I'm trying to be careful. I don't want to just be like, hey, this is everything I've ever seen and done. Well, I mean, I've told you everything I've done, but everything I've ever seen as far as spiritual, because I don't, it's definitely not something we talk about every day. It's definitely not something everyone's experienced. So I want to just be mindful of that and then see what happens with my, like, engagement is like, I guess, plays and listens and listeners. I don't want to lose anyone over it. So if you're interested and you want to hear more, um, keep listening. <laughs> that'll, that'll encourage me to tell you because I feel like I've told you enough so far, but there is another piece to this, um, as far as my spiritual encounter, um, as I continued writing, cause I technically published a second book, Celia's Saving Grace. And, um, you know, I think at that point, I think the first one was very divine and the second one, I don't know if it was meant to be published or if it was just meant to continue delivering me and healing me. But either way, I thought I was supposed to publish it, so I did. And um, no regrets. I never promoted that one at all. Um, I, did, um, I didn't really promote the first one. I did a book signing. But, I mean, it's hard. It was hard for me to promote the first one other than, you know, hey, here's my book. I wrote it on Facebook. Because, I mean, I was still so attached to that version of me, like it'd just been like five years. Now I can honestly say I have not touched drugs in like, or the hard drugs in 17 years. So I don't worry about you wanting to think I'm a coke head or meth head because first of all, I'm not either one of those things. That was 17 years ago. It's out of my system. 
So I feel free enough to say, hey, I did those things. Whereas then I, it freed me to write that book, but I was not free to speak about it. And, but now I am. Now I'm ready to just tell everybody, hey, this is what I did. And this is who you can look like and become. Like you can like not only like rid yourself of the impurities, you can clear up your skin. Like all these things that people that are in drugs that think, you know, their future is just gone. I felt those things and it's, it's not true. It's just not true. Anyway, I hope this, um, was beneficial to you in some way. Um, I hope you don't think I'm too crazy now and I hope I told, told the story to the best of my ability. So, um, you understand maybe at least why my reality is what it is coming from where I've been. I want to thank uh, specifically the city of Seattle because I have 11 listeners there and I don't know anyone there. So I appreciate you either telling your friends or whatever's happening. This is just Apple. Um, I, I, there's Spotify results too, but I, they don't rank it by cities or anything. So thank you for listening and um, I encourage anybody to share this with others. Again, I'm putting it out there. The reason it is, is it's going to open up conversations with your friends and in your communities about things that you wouldn't normally share about yourselves, but you can, you can be a conversation starter to have more intimate relationships with your existing relationships. I love you all and thank you for listening. I'll continue to speak from my heart and continue to share and I will grow alongside you as we're all healing and growing together. Love you much. Bye.